0: you know how sometimes you've been friends with someone for a while then you meet one of their parents and suddenly everything snaps into focus you're like oh it all makes sense now this is why you are the way you are well let me tell you about my friend Kirsten I'm a goofball? Kirsten's your goofball yep I like that (laughs) I met Kirsten in college. We didn't go to the same school, but she was dating a friend of mine. She's actually married to him now. Kirsten is the kind of person everyone wants to talk to. At parties, you gotta kinda jockey for time with her. She's a people pleaser to the nth degree, listening to your problems without ever talking about herself unless you ask. But the most Kirsten-y thing about Kirsten is she's got a talent for making everything fun— I once visited her at her college, and we spent the day talking about boys, roller skating around campus, over the tennis courts, through the school library. That night, we lay on her futon mattress and read to each other from Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven. It was like just a total magical day. There were times in my 20s when I'd wonder, how did this lady get this way? And then one weekend, I took a bus up to Maine, and that's when I met her dad, Norm. And he made this, like, fried chicken. hmm And he was like, guess what's on the outside <laughs> of the chicken? Me and Kirsten, we're we're shouting things out. Breadcrumbs, flour, cornmeal. He, like, strung it out for a long time. <laughs> and finally, he's like, it's Cheez-Its. Dude, it was Cheez-Its.
1: It was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing.
0: Man, I was into Norm with, with his thick Maine accent and baseball cap. He was tall, gangly, all limbs. He'd kind of flail his arms around when he talked, especially when he was talking about crabbing and lobster traps. He weirdly knew a lot about that stuff, even though it wasn't his job. Over the years, though, I learned there was a flip side to Norm's fun.
1: Uh, The chaos. And it was really beautiful, fun chaos a lot of the time. But there was also a lot of, you know, just really... In intense um, emotional chaos.
0: This is The Longest, Shortest Time. I'm Hillary Frank. Today, we'll be talking about how one father shaped his daughter for the good and the chaotic. I think a lot of you are going to relate to this story. And there's so much to it, actually, that we're going to split it into two. Today, we'll hear how Norm influenced Kirsten as a kid. And next week, we'll hear how she took all of that with her later as a mother in a way that completely knocked her off her feet.
1: My
2: little beautiful daughter, Kirsten, you are always with me. Every time I think of you, I feel happiness and joy. A father could be no prouder of his little girl. And I feel your joy and happiness every moment I'm with you.
0: This is Norm in 1974. It's a recording he made on a bright red cassette tape. It's him talking to baby Kirsten. He was smitten with Kirsten. But this recording is actually for Kirsten and her twin brother, Chris.
1: Chris, it might have taken you a little bit longer than Kirsten to roll over.
0: Kirsten's mom, Sharon, is on the tape, too. She and Norm traded off talking about the twins' milestones for the first year of their life. That We
1: discovered that you like standing on your head.
0: Now, Sharon and Norm Sear, they were quite a couple. They were high school sweethearts. He was loud, outgoing, bony with exaggerated features. She was an introvert, calm and collected, a classic beauty with with dark brown eyes. She was so stunning, in fact, that Kirsten's friends at dance class dubbed Sharon the pretty mom. Kirsten and Chris also had a younger brother, CJ, who was born almost exactly a year after them, their birthdays were so close; they'd have one big party for the three of them, and their parents would go all out. We had a a party one year where uh, everybody in the family
1: was enlisted to play different characters in a circus, and my, my great-aunt was a fortune teller, and they stuck her in the pantry with, you know, a bowling ball or something, and, and <laughs> she, she was, my, my
0: uncle was a clown and was utterly terrifying. And at the center of the circus, conducting it all, was, of course, the ringmaster, Norm.
2: We decided we would introduce you to another first, your very first cookie. Well, you handled it, fondled it, rubbed it, dropped it, licked it, did everything but eat
0: it. Norm had a restaurant, a 50s-style drive-up burger joint. He always had burns on his arms from the fry later, And while he knew how to get exactly the right proportion of batter to onion in onion rings, he struggled more with actually making money.
1: And my mom was a a teacher at this little hippie private school that was made out of geodesic domes out in the middle of nowhere.
0: When Kirsten was in second grade, Norm's restaurant went belly up and Kirsten's family filed for bankruptcy. Then her mom's school ran out of money. So when they
1: closed their doors, they said to the teaching staff, take whatever you want with you. So my parents went and just, you know, filled a truck full of, uh, desks and um, all kinds of, of wacky things, that uh, books and, and whatnot, that they brought home and sort of set up shop in the basement. So we were homeschooled and kind of living in the, the middle of nowhere. And one year turned into four years.
0: Kirsten's family lived in a rural suburb outside Portland, Maine. Their house was on a cul-de-sac with, with a bunch of families with kids. But Kirsten and her brothers never played with those kids. For the Sears, family was king. They were each other's best friends. Sharon would take the kids into the woods to gather samples for science experiments. She had them put on a play about the Aztecs and only invited aunts and uncles and grandparents to attend. One Halloween, she worked on costumes with the kids for six months. But instead of trick-or-treating, they drove half an hour to their nearest family to show off the costumes. So was she exclusively homeschooling you or was your dad involved in that my dad was no my dad wasn't
1: very involved in it he uh you know he i remember there being talk of him taking us out on on field trips or adventures or things but uh he was not the most reliable of people so he he i think very quickly was taken off the
0: teacher roster while sharon homeschooled the kids Norm was off doing odd jobs and working at a restaurant owned by a family friend. And there was another thing Norm was up to.
1: I knew that he drank all the time. You know, it really was like breathing. It was uh it, it was so normal, so regular. So he always drank. He always had. What was he, what did he drink? He drank beer. He was a cult 45 drinker. And he, you know, just always had a can of beer. He drove constantly, you know, with um with his beer between his legs. And, you know, I remember that he would be driving down the the street and be done his beer and chuck it out the driver's side window and then, you know, grab another one from under the seat and and open it up.
0: It's not like Kirsten had other parents to compare Norm's behavior to, since her family didn't really hang out with other families and she wasn't in school. And his drinking, it was just baked into their life.
1: I never once saw my dad drunk. And I think... I've talked to my brothers about it. I don't think that they did either. No, it w- it was so insidious. We never, never saw him intoxicated. Wait, you never saw him drunk? No, I never saw him drunk. What
0: do you mean? It sounds like he was drinking all the time.
1: You know, there were definitely times that, you know, I would come downstairs and Dad would be passed out, but that just looks like, you know, asleep. You know, so I I did not have any sense that his drinking— Led to certain problems. That was that connection was not made.
0: But Kirsten knew something was going on with her parents.
1: There was just a real sense of tension. You know, a, a sort of constant sense of tension, and that sort of at any moment that for either of them something would, you know, break or crack. the The energy would vacillate between, you know, incredible. Party fun times and um, and tension that w- that definitely would bubble over. I mean, there was a lot of fighting and a lot of conflict. Uh, you know, they they fighting tried
0: like like they would yell at each other. They would yell at, at each other. Like?
1: Yeah, they would yell at each other. They tried to keep that um, behind closed doors. So I you know I have many memories of waking up in the night and hearing them fight. And I have vivid memories of going into my brother's room. My brothers had shared a room and, and going into their room and sleeping on the floor uh, so that I could, you know, have have some comfort.
0: After about five years, Norm scraped together enough cash to move the family out of the country to a beach town in southeast Maine, where they rented a house. The kids were about to start public school for the first time. Kristen was going into seventh grade. Now, for most people, that would have been the worst possible time to be the new kid. But for Kirsten... To no longer
1: just have my two annoying brothers as my classmates, to go from that to, you know, a whole, um, you know, public school's worth of kids
0: was an absolute dream. For the first time since she was seven, Kirsten had friends who weren't related to her. She even had a kind of sort of boyfriend. who's a skater, who's super cool. Kirsten spent as much time as possible with her new pals, going to the mall, the movies, dances, sleepovers, but that only lasted through the school year. When summer rolled around, the rent on their beach house tripled, way more than Kirsten's family could pay. So they packed up all their stuff, stored it in the attic and basement, and they moved for the summer to a cabin, two rooms on a pond at the end of a dirt road.
1: And it felt like that pond was ours, and... Um, We had a glorious summer in many ways, but to my recollection, almost as soon as we got there, uh, my dad came home one day and said, you know, I have some news for you.
0: That news when we come back. Stay with us. Kirsten, it made Daddy so happy. That you chose to say "dada" for your first words. Since then, you've been babbling quite a bit, but "dada" is your most important word. We're back. When we left off, Kirsten's family was living in a cabin on a pond, and her dad had just told the kids he had some news.
1: And I remember he, we were all sitting down on the beach, my brothers and and my dad and I, and he, and he said, "Well, I'm I'm sick, and I'm going to the hospital, and I'll be in the hospital for a while." And I probably blurted out like, "Are you know, are you dying? Are you sick? You know, with, with cancer?" And he said, "No, no, no. I'm I'm an alcoholic, and I'm going to an inpatient uh, rehab program." And you know, and and I was like, "Oh, whew, okay. Well, all right, fine. You know, you're not dying. <laughs> you don't have cancer." And so there was this very strange kind of anticlimactic, you know, uh, um, element to, to that, and then. You know, and then things were hard. He went away, and and uh, the car broke down, and the phone stopped
0: working. It got shut off because they couldn't pay the bill.
1: Oh, and he he also this is just typical. This is Norm Norm Seer to the max. He um, somehow broke his leg, and like halfway through his time there,
0: for Norm, getting injured was nothing new.
1: I don't, the word spastic doesn't, sounds kind of funny, but he was, like you said, he was all arms and legs. He would trip over himself. He was uh, in constant
0: motion. The broken leg meant Norm stayed in the hospital for almost the entire summer, while the rest of the family was stuck in the cabin with no car, no phone, no other people, nobody earning money. Norm finally came home just before school started. Their old beachside rental was at its off-season rates again. So Norm helped the family move back in.
1: And I think it was the second day he was home, uh, I remember saying to my mom, like, all right, well, we've got to go to the, um, you know, we have to get to to the store so that I can go and, um, you know, get some some school clothes and, you know, I need a new backpack. And, And he weighed in on the matter and said, well, you know, we, we're not going to be able to do that. And, you know, I just.
0: Because you couldn't afford it. Because we
1: couldn't afford it. And, you know, all of my sadness and my anger and my confusion about his being away, about me being taken away from, from my friends, about everything came out in that moment. And I just remember losing my shit and screaming and, and yelling. And he was uh, loving and understanding But nothing was going to change. And things quickly went back to uh, being the way they were before he left. Well, not exactly.
0: After rehab, one big thing was different about Norm.
1: Before that, he was an open drinker, a public drinker. After that, it was always secret. Um, It was always hidden bottles. Uh, He he switched to um, vodka because you couldn't smell it on his breath. And, you know, he'd have, he, he, one of his iconic things was he always had a big gulp, this gigantic cup uh, from 7-Eleven, which is, you know, convenience store that, I, I mean, I, I'm not good with ounces, but let's say it was like a hundred ounces. It was just a gigantic <laughs> cup filled with uh, diet soda. But, you know, there were definitely periods of time when we knew that it wasn't, soda that was in his Big Gulp, that it was, you know, wine or it was alcohol of some sort. And, you know, you feel like such a sucker. It's the, it's, to me, it's one of the worst feelings in the world. There's this, this awful uh, sense of, of disappointment it, and as much in the person as it, in yourself, because oh man, I fell for it again. Uh, there's this crazy amnesia that you have, and I th- I'm sure it's, you know it's a coping skill. It's the way to survive in this totally bonkers world of um, people making promises that they're not going to keep, and you know, and so you you tell yourself that the the promises will be kept this time. You know, I don't know how much of it was acting and I don't know how much of it was that he genuinely nine times out of 10 meant it. I am going to get better this time. I will stop. Um, that happened so many times. I honestly, they, it is a blur. I can't even remember.
0: You talked about him drinking and driving. Mm-hmm. Um, like typically that results in like bad driving. Mm-hmm. Um was that the case with him?
1: Yeah, I mean he would get into accidents and he would you know, he was an awful driver, swerving all over the place and um I do remember negotiating with him uh a few times around the drinking and driving. So, I you know, I, I probably like saw an after school special about drinking and driving and 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 freaked out about it and and had a conversation with him where I asked him to not do it so much. That's the only time I remember directly talking to him about his drinking. But when – How did he react? Uh, you know, he he was such a dear heart. You know, he was, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, 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 you know, sorry to scare you or sorry to upset you. Um, you know, he was very loving in that way. But, of course, you know, nothing changed. Were you ever scared? I think I was scared all the time. (laughs) I think when I look back on it, I think I was scared all the time. And I think I did not have any awareness of that I was scared. Yeah, I remember thinking that that one of us was going to get hurt or that he was going to get hurt. Um, But more than anything, just scared scared of him not being happy, of him being angry, of my mom being angry, of... Of things going south. And did he it, have
0: a bad temper?
1: Did he have a bad temper? Yeah. Um. He. Wh- what he. Ha- what would happen mostly for him is he was. He would withdraw, which is almost scarier, right? Because you don't know what the hell's going on. Somebody just sort of is there, but they're not. And and I would always assume that was because of something that I could have done better or differently, and so it. The scarier, the harder thing was that that sort of emotional disappearing act that he would pull.
0: Norm would get distant and cranky when the family was spending money, like when they went out to a restaurant or the grocery store. But for Kirsten, it felt like he was acting that way because she'd let him down, like not made the outing fun enough. The guilt was so powerful, she'd get an ache in her palms. How did your mom handle his drinking? Um,
1: I think that she, the way she dealt with his drinking, was she fell madly in love with her children and made her children her world. And then you know those years that we were being homeschooled, even more so. You know she—that's
0: a lot to put on you.
1: <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it was.
0: Yeah. You know, you get all of that. You were just, like, saying that in kind of this, like, sing-songy voice. Like, she made her children her world. (laughs) But I'm sitting here thinking, like, (gasps) yeah, that sounds terrible. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I think that uh, it's – I have a lot of compassion now, I think. It's developing. It's growing. It's not full – it's not, like, a fully formed thing. But I have a lot of compassion for her and and for – how she dealt with things.
0: Kirsten says she thinks those long-term Halloween projects and stuff, or her mom's attempt to keep the kids feeling safe—to just wrap them up in a family cocoon—it
1: it felt like there was a uh, a private club, and my my brothers and I were the and my mom, we were the the only members, and, and even my dad was sort of like a peripheral member, and everybody else was on the outside. Um, so that felt really kind of cool,, um, but it also was really isolating and was very confusing because, um, I didn't always want to be a member of that club, but I felt like I I had to, you know, be wearing the colors all the time, and like, you know, that I was the mascot.
0: It was especially hard to be a member on days when that club would fall apart, like Saturday mornings. The routine was cartoons, then chores.
1: Just as the last cartoon was ending, you know, the boys would start hemming and hawing, and they'd start complaining and saying they didn't want to do their jobs. All You know, I'm sure, like, very typical kid stuff. And I would be chastising them, or trying to rally them, or trying to, you know, to encourage them, and could feel the tension building and feel, you know, my mom getting angrier and I would go and start doing the jobs and start doing their jobs and try and get everything done as quickly as possible and just feel that tension building and then she would eventually blow and there'd there'd be yelling and screaming and sometimes throwing things.
0: And is that why you think you were like chastising them and taking on that role of like let's just get this done guys to avoid that like mom blowing her top thing
1: yeah yeah I think it was a combination of trying to avoid that and then also desperately trying to protect her and to 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 save her from suffering To try and stop her suffering, quell that suffering. And if I do this, then she'll feel better.
0: While Kirsten was trying to hold things together, her brothers were getting more distant. As a teen, her twin brother would hole up in his room for days. The younger one would go out and party. And Norm was still drinking, but promising that he wasn't. He'd have these business ideas, but they'd fall apart and he'd sink further into bankruptcy. A lot of the time, they couldn't even pay for electricity. Kirsten couldn't afford to go on the big 8th grade field trip to D.C. Meanwhile, Norm was secretly blowing money on booze. Still, through all of this, fun Norm was in there. Norm of surprises. Norm of the grand gesture. Norm who adored his daughter. Like, when Kirsten was 16.
1: He knew that my favorite colors were purple and green and uh, and I came home one day and he had um, decorated and painted everything purple and green and made it look like I had a um, forced canopy of, of leaves on the, the ceiling and um, oh, he did so many awesome things he um, when when I was a sophomore junior in high school my boyfriend broke up with me and I was utterly heartbroken. And he knew how sad I was. He was listening and he was watching, even though I wasn't telling him directly about it. And I went to bed crying that night of the breakup and woke up the next morning. And um, I looked over at my pillow and there was a chocolate rose and a note <laughs> from my dad, a very l- lovely um, just poem that I still have in in my wallet. And and then he came into my room and he said, you don't have to go to school today. You don't have to deal with that. And he um, took me out on a day's worth of adventures.
0: Kirsten graduated high school, then college. Norm kept drinking, kept hiding it. Then by her mid-twenties, he couldn't hide it as well. Kirsten went to visit Norm one time, and he was slurring, falling over. He looked disheveled. He went back to rehab. Another time, Kirsten thought Norm seemed unusually drowsy. She accused him of drinking. He said he wasn't. Kirsten made a beeline for the car, searching for booze. And there it was, under the driver's seat. She brought in the bottle, showed it to Norm. He said it wasn't his. He denied it so adamantly that Kirsten actually wondered if she'd made a mistake— that this bottle under her dad's seat in his car, where he liked to drink, wasn't his bottle at all. Maybe she was wrong to have doubted him. One time, Norm disappeared for a while. He wasn't answering his phone.
1: We didn't know where he was and honestly had no idea um, if he was alive or dead. And he went into uh, the, the local um, psych hospital, uh, at one point um, because he was suicidal or saying that he was suicidal. The way I ended up thinking about it was it doesn't really matter if he's drinking or not. You know, they talk about sort of developing some new coping skills or developing some new ways of of dealing with life. Um, none of that ever
0: happened for him. Can you list the effects that alcohol had on his body?
1: um he he was a skinny guy, but he, you know, became skeletal. he He lost a tremendous amount of weight. Um, and, you know, he he couldn't heal as well um, because of just how ravaged his body was. So he just was always sort of covered in cuts and bruises and open wounds and um, and then his, you know, his his breathing, he was on oxygen. he was, uh, in and out of the hospital almost constantly um, because he would get a cold or um, he'd get sick and and it would um, turn into uh, bronchial pneumonia pretty quickly And um, and all the while was still drinking.
0: Norm would cycle in and out of his best self and his worst self, but more often than not, he tended toward his worst. In a minute, Kirsten tries to rescue fun Norm, don't go away. Today is
2: Saturday and Mummy is sleeping late because it was my turn to get up with you. Now let's see if we can get you to say something. Can you say mama? Huh? Wanna say mama? No, honey, don't put it in your mouth. No. Well, that didn't work too well. Now I'm going to try the sneaky approach. I'm going to leave or put the tape on when you guys don't think it's on and catch you unsuspectedly. I'm being very devious and trying to catch you without you realizing I'm doing
0: it. We are back with my pal, Kirsten Sear. When we left off, Norm was up and down, in and out of hospitals and rehab. Insurance sometimes covered his treatments, but not always. The family was stretched pretty thin. And, Kirsten says, it's not like rehab was changing Norm's behavior anyway. Did you ever ask your dad, why can't you stop?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, so many times. What did he say? I don't think he knew, you know? I, I don't think he knew. I never, ever got an answer to that question.
0: Norm was only in his 60s, but he was fading. He seemed defeated. Often, when Kirsten would try to talk to him, he'd just stare at the TV but Kirsten kept at it, driving him to doctors, talking to his therapists, visiting him at rehab for years.
1: And I had this magical thinking that if I showed him how much I loved him, if I convinced him of how beautiful a man he was, that he would get better and he'd change.
0: Eventually, Norm was in the hospital more often than he was home. Kirsten visited him over and over until one day it finally dawned on her.
1: I remember um a terrible dread just washing over me and coming home and saying to my husband, the only way I can see this ending is him dying. That's the only way this is going to stop. And, you know, that, that's when I, it, it really hit me for the first time that there, there wasn't a damn thing that I could do.
0: Kristen started to back off. She was still there to support Norm, but she stopped trying to change him. She realized the best she could expect was Norm being home, but sick and depressed. And even then, he was so prone to getting hurt. My parents had
1: a dog at the time, a crazy dog. My mom will be livid with me saying that, but a crazy dog who um, my dad had taken out to, you know, to go to the bathroom and... The dog had, I think, like seen a squirrel and kind of pulled fast uh, ahead and um, pulled on his leash. And my dad got jerked forward and, and ended up falling over and smashing into the side of the
0: house and broke some ribs. This was three and a half years ago. At the time, Kirsten's cousin was getting married. With the dog smashing him into the house incident, Norm wasn't well enough to go to the wedding. So Kirsten stopped by the house to pick up her mom.
1: And my dad was there, and he had a favorite rocking chair. He Because he needed to constantly be in motion, even when he was so sick, and even when he had broken ribs, he was rocking in his favorite rocking chair. And, um, and I remember coming in, and my dad um, said something to me— that I interpreted as him being frustrated or mad. And, and I, I, stress was very high and there was a lot going on and I was feeling pretty overwhelmed. And I kind of snapped back at him and said, you know, why are you, why are you angry at me? You know, sort of like, what's your problem? And, and he looked up at me with, um, just such loving eyes and said, I'm, I'm not mad at you, honey. I'm never mad at you.
0: A couple of days after the wedding, Norm went to the hospital.
1: When he broke his ribs, he, you know he couldn't cough, uh, and that meant that you know all of the the junk that would be in his diseased lungs that he he wasn't able to kind of get things moving, and um, and that put a lot of stress on his um his organs and put a lot of stress on his heart, and so his heart stopped uh, sort of all of his major organs kind of his system sort of stopped.
0: He was only 65.
1: You know, one of the the amazing things that he did um, was he always made me feel seen. you know, for all of his challenges and for all of the chaos and all of the um, the suffering, you know that that happened. Uh, I felt so profoundly and deeply seen by him.
0: This this is the thing that Kirsten remembers most vividly about the last time she saw Norm in his rocking chair with the broken ribs.
1: You know, I, I probably now, when I look back on it, imbue that moment more with all of that than there was, but it doesn't matter. My memory of that moment is that he saw me and I saw him.
2: Well, that was a typical Saturday morning. We'll be hearing you again later. And we sign off now.
0: You want to say a final bye? This is actually not the end. There's much more to this story, and it continues next week. We'll be talking about Kirsten as a mom and in her job as a child therapist, which is the kind of gig that forces you to analyze yourself.
1: I would have that feeling when I would work with parents. Sometimes I'd be like, man, you know, this is the pot calling the kettle black. You know, I had a coping skill um, and that was it. In your professional opinion. Yeah, in my professional opinion, I really needed to diversify a little bit.
0: I have a feeling that Kirsten's story will make a lot of you play therapist on yourselves, too. We want to hear all about it. We want to know what you've inherited from your parents, the good and the chaotic, and how has that made you who you are? Leave your thoughts at longestshortesttime.com in the comments for this episode. That's episode 112. And while you're there, you can also check out another story we did with Kirsten a few years ago. It's about the birth of her son, Jack. Give it a listen this week. It foreshadows next week's episode in a way that I did not see coming. That one is episode 21. Ugh, you guys, this music, it is brand new, and it was composed especially for us by the great Allison Layton Brown. Hotmoms.gov performed the tunes with Sam Merrick on drums, Jordan Scanella on bass, Scott Metzger on guitar, and Allison Layton brown on keys. The session was produced by Reverend John Delore and mixed by Brian Pugh. This podcast is produced by me, Hilary Frank, with Kristen Clark and Abigail Keel. We are edited by Peter Clowney. Our engineers are Pete Karam and Jared O'Connell. We get editorial support from Amory Baldonado, Antonia Acatunde, and Rekha Murthy. Special thanks this week to Patty White and Maine Public Radio. As always, here at The Longest Shortest Time, we are looking for your stories. Right now, we are gearing up for a show about race. We're especially looking for questions from white parents who are looking for advice on how to talk to their kids about race and racism. So send us your questions or anything else you want us to hear. Go to LongestShortestTime.com and submit your story.
2: Well... I think one of the firsts that most babies don't have is meeting the President of the United States, and that, Chris and Kirsten, is exactly what you did. We took you up to Loring to meet President Nixon. It was exactly a month and a half before he was to resign from office, but at that time none of us realized that this was going to occur. Hey, this is Jason Sklar, one of the hosts of Sklarbro Country, a podcast here on Earwolf that we love doing. And we have a fantastic episode where we sit down with the hilarious Caitlin Olson. We talk to her about her comedic process. We talk to her about some inside the actor studio, behind the scenes, it's always sunny in Philadelphia stuff. Here's a clip. Do you, are your kids in karate? Ours are in jujitsu. Does Rob take the classes with your kids? He would love to. He, <laughs> he,
0: he takes jujitsu, like adult jujitsu. <laughs> but, like, for the first four or five times, he brought his gi and everything in a bag. I'm like, what do you expect's going to happen in there?
2: We had a blast. I think you'll enjoy it. And uh, you can check it on an earwolf.com, iTunes, or your favorite podcast app. Scarborough Country. Get into it. Stand up. You sing earwolf? Yeah. Hey, This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com.